Thank you for supporting the media outreach of New Covenant Christian Ministries. Through the powerful preaching and teaching of Pastor Bill and Dr. Deanne Johnson, family relations are being restored. The wayward are returning to God. And together, we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Join us now for a message that will strengthen you in your faith and encourage you to be all that God has designed you to be. I want you to make your way in the Bible to John chapter 10. My topic today is the Good Shepherd. And I understand that you're in a series on the I Am statements of Jesus. And we're getting back to the foundation where we're asking ourselves questions. Who is Jesus? What is he like? What does he call us to do? How should we follow him? How do we live for Christ in this broken society in which we are in today? These foundational questions, they cause us to go back to Scripture and look at Scripture through fresh eyes, fresh lens. As you may have known and have learned and have heard, there are seven I Am statements of Jesus. Each one shows us a different aspect of His person and His ministry. We have learned from John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Second I am statement is, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the door. Another translation, I am the gate. And he who enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and he will go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. The sixth I am statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the seventh I am statement, I am the true vine and my father's divine dresser. Each I am statement profoundly describes to us who is Jesus? What is he like? What should be my expectation when I walk with him? Let's spend our time together now unpacking the statement I am the good shepherd. As you're there in John chapter 10, let me give you the backdrop. Imagine, if you would, in the audience, a lot of Pharisees. The word Pharisee means a separated one. It was a sect of Judaism where these individuals were very, very strict and very narrow in how they followed the law of Moses. And so separated ones means that they live in cloistered communities, they crossed all the legal T's and dotted all the legal I's, and they're very pious and they think that they're better than other people, and they were very envious of Jesus because flocks of people followed Jesus and they didn't have the same response. Jesus now shared this story, and in the story was really trying to help the Pharisees understand, you guys are false shepherds. Your motivation, your behavior is very duplicitous, it's substandard, it's uncharacteristic of Scripture, and Jesus is saying of himself, I am the good shepherd. With that thought in mind, look please at verse 1 of John 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, 
and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verse 5. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What a profound statement. I want us to draw back in time to understand the culture of the day. The audience that were listening. Jesus as he shared this lesson. He was helping people understand who he was and what they should expect of him and what kind of relationship they can bank on having should they accept him as their savior. What can we learn from this I am statement that I am the good shepherd? May I offer to you three lessons from this particular I am statement? Lesson one, the good shepherd is the gate. Some translation read, the good shepherd is the door. In other words, Jesus said, I am the door. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this because someone else is going to unpack this I am statement, but I must address it since the verse, that opening verse to the good shepherd opens up with the fact that Jesus tells us that, wait a second, I have the rightful access to the sheep. He says, I am the gate, I'm the door. Now, at night in Palestinian society in these days, Bible days, shepherds would commingle their flocks. All the shepherds in that particular region would gather together and they would sometimes bring their flock into a cave or maybe by the side of a barn or by the side of a house where it was, it was cordoned off with a wall on three sides. And on one side where the gatekeeper was or the doorkeeper was, that person would stand there almost as a security guard. Jesus announced to us, he says that the gatekeeper allows me in to the flock. Why? Because Jesus is telling us that he is a shepherd of the flock. But I want us to focus on that the good shepherd is the gate. And so when these shepherds gathered their flocks together at night, it was to provide fellowship time for the shepherds, security and safety for the sheep. And so it served that particular purpose. And Jesus then says, look, they did that in order to protect the sheep from predators. And then he was very specific from thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers are different. Thieves steal by subtlety and trickery, deception. Robbers steal by force and violence. And so Jesus says that I am the gate. And then we learn from verse 9, I am the gate. 
Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Jesus announced that I am the door, the gate, the entrance into the new life. So he's explaining to us that whoever comes through him as the gate, as the access point, as the entrance, as the doorway, you will not only go in and go out, but you'll find pasture. You'll find new life. You'll find sustenance. You'll find food. You'll find and experience eternal life. Let me ask you the question. Do you have this new life that Jesus talks about or are you someone that is simply religious? For me, I remember the day and the time when I experienced Jesus as the gate, the door into this new life. It was July 6th, 1982 at 10 p.m. I sat on the edge of my dormitory bed and here was, I was an atheist. And, but I'd gone through a series of circumstances and challenges and mental anguish trying to figure out life. And on that particular evening, my roommate wasn't there. I said, Lord, if you're real, change me. And it was at that moment I stepped through Jesus the gate and experienced the new life. Earlier that evening, this young lady... We were friends. She was a Christ follower. I was not. She called me up and said, David, what's going on? And then I said, always being a jokester and sarcastic, cynical, I said, guess what, Cassandra? I got saved today. She said, wow, great. She said, tell me about it. Because she had been witnessing to me for a number of years and I've been resistant. I was one of those difficult, uh, difficult sinners. In fact, they said that I was, my mind was reprobate. That's what the believers said and they'd stopped even sharing their faith with me on the college campus. But I said to her when she said, well, how was your day? I said, I got saved today. She said, tell me about it. I said, I saw the sun jump over the moon and I saw the heavens opened and I knew I needed Jesus and I gave my heart to him. She said, Wow, praise God. And then I said, I'm just lying. And she hung up the phone right on, on me. There was another guy, another Christian visiting her at that time in her apartment. And he knew who I was. And she just explained to him what just happened. And he said, call up David again and invite him over. So in a few moments, she called me up and said, come on over to my place. So I came over. I had nothing else to do. I came over. And I'm sitting there. Do you know what it's like when you're the only non-Christian in a room with other Christians. They're looking at you almost like raw meat. You know that they're gonna share their faith with you. And so I felt that. So I figured, let me strike first and talk about some other things. So I raised topics about politics. Then when that died down, I raised topics about the New York Yankees. And since we're in New York Yankee territory. And so when that died down, it paused. And the guy said to me, I know you're pretty uncomfortable and you're thinking I'm gonna share my faith with you, but I promise, I'm only going to talk to you for two minutes and then I'll shut down. I said, okay, go ahead, two minutes, go. He said, one day the devil got together with some of his friends in hell. And he said, let's come up with a good plan to go up to the earth and deceive mankind. One demon said, let's go up to the earth and tell mankind that there is no God. The devil barked at that demon and said, that's a dumb idea. Why do you think we're having this conference? Another demon said, let's go up to the earth, Mr. Devil, and tell you know, mankind that you know, Jesus can't save you. The devil said, that's dumb. Why do you think we're having this conference? Jesus saves. 
Everything quieted down. Another demon said, Mr. Devil, let's go up to the earth and tell mankind, take your time. The devil paused and then said, great idea. So I'm sitting in the living room now. These two Christians facing me. The guy said to me, he said, David, take your time. I said, what do you mean take my time? If I, if I die, and, where would I go when I go to hell? He said, yeah, but don't worry about it. Take your time. And then I, said, I started to ask more questions. He said, no, I promised you two minutes, two minutes. I don't want to talk anymore. And he wouldn't talk anymore. And this guy wasn't smart enough to be using reverse psychology. I knew him. But somehow that reverse psychology had triggered something in me. And so when I was driving back to my dorm, I was so afraid. I'm driving like five miles an hour on the highway and looking over my back seat to see if there was anybody that had sneaked down in the car and was waiting there to stab me because the guy said to me, take your time. So if I died, I would die and go to hell. It was on that evening when I got back to my dorm, I didn't even know I was praying. I said, Jesus, if you're real, save me. And I entered into the new life. I experienced Jesus as the gate. I want you to see that that's what it means when he says, I'm a good shepherd. It means not I am, I am the good shepherd. What that means is that the good shepherd is the gate. The scripture also teaches that the good shepherd is the leader. Jesus described himself as the shepherd who leads the flock. Verse three tells us, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, that is for the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now I want you to dig apart this verse because this verse shows there's been a time shift. First it was evening when, they, when the shepherd came in to be with the flock. And then it shifted, became morning when the shepherd is leading his flock out. Remember, at night, shepherds, multiple, plural, commingled their flock. In the morning, they would take each flock, their respective flock, to independent grazing areas. They didn't sit there and say, oh, that's my sheep. Oh, no, 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 that's not your sheep, that's my sheep. They didn't have to do that. The sheep knew the voice of the shepherd. And so each shepherd would give a command with obviously his voice, and his flock would detangle, would pull themselves away from the rest of the commingled flocks and follow that shepherd, and the shepherd would go in front of the flock and they would lead them because the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Question, do you know the voice of God? Question, do you listen to and listen for the voice of the good shepherd. Our good shepherd speaks to us. And there we see that good sheep obey the commands of their shepherd. Several years ago, our church, we always do Christmas musicals. This particular Christmas musical that had been planned, in our creative team meeting, someone came up with a brilliant idea. Hey, let's have some live animals. And let's get a sheep. And so I'm sitting there thinking now, you know, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I do know that farm animals, they leave signs that they've been around. So all I can think about is that on our stage, we're going to have signs of where that animal walked. And so I'm thinking this, you know, and they want to get a sheep. 
or lamb, singular, you know, and so, so I, I said, you track down where we can get a lamb, and I go, I'll go and visit with that farmer and just check out this lamb that they use for these kinds of, you know, opportunities. So the price was right, went to the farmer, I pulled up my car right outside the driveway, long driveway, about maybe five, six hundred feet to the, to the farmhouse, and so I didn't know if they had dogs around, so I stayed as a New Yorker, I stayed at the base of the driveway, got out of the car, blew the horn first, got out of the car, here comes this proverbial looking farmer in New Jersey, mind you, he has overalls on, he's walking slow. Walking next to him was this little lamb, white, you know, lamb, and it's walking and it's touching its, his, his calf, just holding, you know, just right next to him like a little puppy. And so this lamb is walking and, and this farmer is walking and finally they get to the top of the driveway where, I, I, you know, my wife and I, we were there and she's the worship pastor, so she has her agenda. Why she's there, I have my agenda. My agenda was fecal matter. Her agenda was music. I didn't care about the music. I care about the remnants. And so you got it. We had our different perspectives. And so when I'm there, we exchange greetings and welcome and, you know, talk to each other. And then Marlinda says to the farmer that we'd love to hire out your lamb. And while the lamb was there, the lamb strayed a little bit. And then he called Dolly. He said, Dolly, come here. And sure enough, John 10 Verse 9, or verse 3 rather, comes alive to me. My sheep know my voice. The farmer says, Dolly, come here. And it comes right over to him. And so Marlinda and the farmer, they're engaging and talking. And then here I am now, because... I've been to seminary. I understand how to exegete the scripture. I understand the historical, the cultural, the geopolitical. I, I get all that. But for some reason, when the scripture says, my sheep know my voice and they will not follow a stranger, uh, there was a disconnect. So Dolly walked about maybe 10 feet away from the farmer. So I stepped back now like I'm moonwalking. <laughs> And I said, Dolly, come here. And Dolly ignored me, the strangest thing. So I figured maybe I didn't say it loud enough. I said, Dolly, come here. Dolly ignored me again. Then the scripture came alive. My sheep know my voice. So when Jesus says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, what I understood is this, shepherds always lead the flock. They go in front of the flock. Why? To guide, to bring safety, to give them protection and direction. When the shepherd is visible to the flock, the shepherds, the sheep rather, when the, shep, when the sheep are visible to the flock, the sheep feel at peace. They feel calm. That's why it's so, so important that you need to ask yourself questions there at New Covenant. How do you see Pastor Billy and Pastor Deanne? How do you see them? How do you see the rest of the pastoral team? Are they simply Bible teachers to you? Or are they your shepherds? If they are your shepherds, 
you will know their voice and what they have to say to you will mean all the difference in the world. Years ago, this couple had been visiting our church for, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine months. An appointment was made to sit with me. And the guy introduced himself. He said, my wife and I, we used to be pastors at XYZ Church for a number of years. We'd left, but we really want to plant a church. And we came here just to get perspective and get healing. We'd love to, to ask you, would you be willing to plant a church with us? I didn't even have to pause for two seconds. I simply said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. They said, why not? I said, I don't plant churches. I plant sons and daughters. See, I said to them, I'm just a Bible teacher to you. You see me as someone that may be academic and scholarly and can exegete the text and bring meaning and nuances to the Bible and bring out application to how you can live, but I'm not a shepherd to you. My voice means very little, my counsel, my input. And so if I planted a church with you and things start to go amiss or awry and I start to hold you accountable to standards and ethics and morality and decency and methodology and, and, and how you care for the flock, then and you ignore me because you say I have a different interpretation, therefore, I'm out. <laughs> I want you to see that you have to ask yourself the question, is Jesus your leader? If you're just walking with Jesus to experience blessings and to be your savior from sin and from eternal damnation, it's not good enough. Because our Lord is not a part-time savior or just saving you from hell without leading you. Jesus, the good shepherd, is the one who leads. And the beauty is that it's easy for people to follow shepherds whose primary interest is the welfare of the flock and not their own personal gain. See, the Pharisees were false shepherds who cared about their own purpose, their own priorities, their own purse. They did not care about the people. Jesus then said to the people, as well as to the Pharisees, I am the good shepherd. You know, when someone carries himself in an integrous way, in a morally upright way to bring honor to God, it's easy to follow their leadership. But when someone is duplicitous, when someone is insincere, when someone could care less and they're not authentic, or they put themselves in some untouchable place where the people can't interact or care for them or, or be able to you know, engage them, even with, with tough, thorny areas in their lives. It makes that shepherd unable to follow the sheep. It was many years ago, young emerging church, maybe about 30, 40 people, pastor called me and I visited with him for a while and he said, David, I'm struggling. I said, why? He said, I'm struggling in the fact that my people don't listen to me. And I said to him something, I said, this may hurt, but I want to be honest with you because a lot of people are not honest. I want to be honest with you. There are some churches that we start that should not have started. Heaven did not issue a building permit. Your church is one of those. The people don't listen to you because the sheep hear the voice of their shepherd. 
may I suggest to you that you fold the church. And I didn't say that because of the size of the church. I said that because it lacked all the nuances of what brings about a church. And over the next three months, I helped him to fold the church and send the people to other places that would be life-giving places. And he recognized that. And I'm not suggesting that, that, that that's something that I quickly and glibly say. No, I say that because at some point in our lives, if we're going to walk with Jesus, he must not just simply be our Messiah and our Savior. He must be our leader. The good shepherd leads the flock. It was many years ago. I was working as an environmental engineer been a Christian for about three, four years at the time. I kept hearing sermons in my head while I'm there doing engineering work. It was very confusing, very disturbing. I would come home each evening. I said to Marlinda, I can't even focus on engineering. I hear sermons going through my head. I think I'm going crazy. She said, honey, you need to spend some time and seek God to find out what he wants of you. And I remember I'm struggling now. Should I remain as an engineer or transition into ministry and plant a church. The pastor I was a part of that church, he was saying, David, I want to plant a church using you and Marlinda. And I'm saying, I'm an engineer, I'm no pastor. But I kept hearing these sermons just go over my mind and flash to my mind each time I'm at work and it was struggling big time. So I went to the smartest guy I knew, an old professor, math professor, that he had memorized most of the New Testament. The guy was a brilliant man, brilliant mathematician, brilliant Christ follower in terms of character and understanding of scripture. And I sat down with him, I said to him, Maz, I'm struggling. Should I leave engineering and transition into ministry or just remain as an engineer? and leave ministry alone and just volunteer in the local church. He said, David, there's so many ministers. Serve the Lord as an engineer. I walked out of his home. I was so happy because the smartest guy in you said, stay in engineering and serve God in that capacity. Everything was fine that evening. The next morning at work, here comes the problem again. Sermons flashing through my mind. And then I did the best thing ever. Instead of going to another human being, I decided to do something I'd never done before in my life as a young Christian. I took off three days from work, and I turned those three days into a time of fasting and prayer. I went into the second bedroom. My wife and I at that time, way back then, we had an apartment that had two bedrooms. I left the master bedroom. I went into the second bedroom. I told her, honey, I'm going to be here shutting away with God because I need God to speak to me. And there, I had a Bible, I had a water, you know, gallons of water, I had a notepad, I had a pen, and I'm just laying on the floor crying out to God. Every couple hours, I'm saying, God, I need clarity. And as I'm praying for three days, three nights, God said nothing. I left, I was so angry. I went back into the master bedroom at the end of that three days, three nights, having asked God, should I be in ministry or be an engineer? God was silent. When I laid down on the master bed, I just took a nap. When I woke up in a couple hours, I fell into a trance. 
First time and the only time in my life I've ever had a trance vision. There are three types of visions in the Bible, one of which is a trance vision. When you lose the physical sensation of your body and it's like everything turns into a TV set and you're part of, an, part of a, a TV program. When I sat up on my bed, I was in a trance and the ceiling of my bedroom opened up and I saw the most beautiful white dove fly through the ceiling. And it stood over my bed, hovering, and one feather from its wing came out, and it was just moving up and back and forth in the air above my bed. And I heard these words, David, go and preach my word. David, go and preach my word. Twice. And the dove flew out of the room, ceiling closed back up. I fell out of the trance, and I was weeping uncontrollably in the presence of God. I knew without a shadow of a doubt, my shepherd was leading me. Do you hear the voice of God? Do you listen to and listen for the voice of God? I'm not saying it has to be as dramatic as my encounter, but as a sheep in the sheep pen of heaven, you must listen to and listen for the good shepherd's voice because the good shepherd, he is the gate and he's also the leader. What we've learned already is that the good shepherd is the gate, the good shepherd is the leader, and may I offer to you the third and final point, the good shepherd is the giver of life. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I mean, it's amazing when Jesus said that. He was not trying to give himself a new title, a fancy title that was conventional or new or contemporary, calling himself the good shepherd and have a business card that says Jesus, the good shepherd. It wasn't a title that he was looking for. He was describing his function. Jesus, the good shepherd, he says that I lay down my life for the sheep. And this was so antithetical to Palestinian shepherds. The Palestinian shepherd never desired to lay down his life for the sheep. In fact, when a Palestinian shepherd died defending his sheep, it was always accidental. Either it was marauders, robbers, or it may have been wild animals that they could not fend off that attacked the sheepfold and then attacked the shepherd, killing the shepherd. When that happened, it was never intentional. It was always accidental. And when that happened, New Testament scholar Dr. Leon Morris says, the shepherd's death was accidental because he planned to live for them, not to die for them. And in this case, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep, what Jesus was saying is this, my death, it's not incidental it's intentional. What a vast difference. He changes everything around to say that the purpose of my life is to lay it down for you, that you may have new life. Question, have you experienced this new life that Jesus promised you? It's not something that's accidental. It's something that is intentional. And what Jesus is asking you is to accept his life 
accept his life into you as new life. In other words, invite him into your heart to become your savior. And in so doing, you would have then said to Jesus, I acknowledge the purpose of your earthly ministry and the purpose of you being the good shepherd to lay down your life for me. I acknowledge that. And so Jesus, when he said to us, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What he was saying to us is this, you can't bank on the government, money, your education, your gifts, your successes to be what gives you a sense of security. Bank on the fact that your security is in this, that you know the good shepherd and the good shepherd has laid down his life for you and you've accepted it as new life. One of my favorite historical preachers is Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, We have all things and abound, not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have skill and wit with which to win bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. There's something about knowing that this good shepherd is not just good for everybody, he's good for me. I have accepted him as my shepherd, my Lord, and him being good is not a descriptor, so to speak, of a new name. Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd is descriptive of his action of dying for our sins that we may have life. Not biological life, that Greek word bios. It's the Greek word zoe, the God kind of life. Eternal life. Life to the full. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd because I lay down my life that you may have the God kind of life. It was about eight years ago. I remember it distinctly. It was a Friday afternoon. I got a frantic call from a woman on the other end, or should I say, I got a call on the other end was a frantic woman. She was weeping and sobbing. And I said, calm down, calm down. And when she introduced herself amidst the tears, she was a pastor. Her and her husband have been friends of mine. I've ministered in their church. They have a huge mega church in the Midwest, and I administered there over the years. And she said, David, I'm calling you from the hospital. My husband had a stroke just a couple of hours ago, and we're here at the hospital, and I, I just don't know what to do. Now, mind you, they just came back from the gym, working out. He went to take a nap, slept for a couple of hours. When he sat up, very instantly had a stroke. Half his body paralyzed. He lost his speech. She was cooking dinner. And, and when she said, what's taking him so long? And she went into the bedroom and there he was. He had fallen on the floor and not able to speak, not able to move. And she contacted the ambulance and they came and, 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 and they rushed him to the hospital. So now the picture is in front of them. Here's a church or here's the senior leaders, the head of a huge church, Friday afternoon. They were the ones scheduled or he was the one scheduled to preach that Sunday. Everything's upside down, topsy-turvy. She's calling me, panicking on the other end of the phone. And she said, what do I do? I said, what I'd like for you to do, Tanya, take care of your three children. Give me the phone number for your senior elder, executive pastor. I'll take it from here. You take care of your family. I'll help you take care of the church. 
from New Jersey. I got a hold of him. And I said, he was still, he's frantic himself because of this is all unexpected. He said, what are we going to do? I said, I want you to preach on Sunday. He said, preach? He said, what am I going to preach? I said, I want you to preach Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm. I said, your people don't need any fancy word. They don't need any, you know, any insight that's deep and any heavy revelation. They don't need anything nuanced. They don't need any of those things. Because mind you, it became very public in, in terms of his, his stroke because he's a very popular pastor. People in his church worked in the hospital. And so it, it spread in all kinds of ways. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to preach on the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He listened to me and he preached that Sunday the shepherd's psalm. The Lord is a good shepherd. It calmed the people, gave them reassurance that no matter how unexpected this tragedy is to your congregation and to your leaders, you serve a God who cares. He is a good shepherd. Pastor still rehabilitating, still convalescing, but the church has been steady. They've come out of that particular difficulty. Why? Because the Lord is the good shepherd. New Covenant, I wanted to encourage you with that simple I am statement of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. May I have the awesome privilege right now to pray with you? And if you've never given your heart to Jesus, I want you to repeat after me this simple prayer right where you are. Heavenly Father, I need you. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Wash away my sins. Save me. I ask you this in the name of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. I welcome you now into the family of God. In a few moments, Pastor Billy and the team will give you access to information, literature that will ground you in this new relationship with Jesus Christ. New Covenant, it's been my honor being a part of this ministry series of the I Am Statements of Jesus. Pastor Billy, back to you. I want to thank Dr. Ireland for a word. I pray that you were blessed today. Yeah. We know that Jesus is indeed the good shepherd. He shepherds our soul. My question to you is this, is he your shepherd? The psalmist said the Lord is my shepherd. Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life where he shepherds and cares for you? I want to pray for you. You can pray right now. Come on, say it with me. Dear Lord, I need you in my heart right now to be the caretaker of my soul. I need you to save me. I need you to cause me to come alive. And I do that by receiving you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Listen, if you've prayed that prayer, I want to say welcome to the family yeah. of God. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let us know. You can text 313131 and you can text 
Accept Christ. Accept Christ. And you're going to get a download, information that's going to help you on your journey. Listen, also, if you're on any of our social media platforms, you can also put in there saved and someone will get back to you immediately Mm -hmm. to get that information to you. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information on other products and materials, please contact us at 770-484-9300, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit our website at www.newcov.org. If you're in the Atlanta area, we invite you to join us for one of our dynamic services. Once again, thank you for receiving the living word of God from New Covenant Christian Ministries, where we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ.